Welcome to River Edge Podcasts. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. So good to be here with you all. Why would you want to be anywhere else right now? It's nothing like the presence of God. There's a lot of substitutes in the world. But there's nothing like the presence of God. Nothing ministers to our soul, revives our spirit like the presence of God does. Those of us who have tried the other, the substitutes, know that there's nothing like the presence of God. Yeah? So true. You may be seated. He's going to steal my tea. You were singing too hard and hurt your throat, weren't you? Because <laughs> I do the same thing. Oh, that worship was so good, wasn't it? Thank you, team, for leading us in beautiful worship. Oh. That song, the, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That undid me a little bit, hey. Because I was singing that over. I know that's what God did for me. I know he pursued me as a little girl when I was broken and in, in him, in so much need of him. But what undid me is I know that he's doing that for the people that I'm praying for. He's pursuing them and there's no shadow that he won't light up. There's no mountain that he won't climb up. There's no lie that he won't tear down that they're believing so that they can know him and he's pursuing them right now. And I'm praying for some people that need to know his love so dearly and that that song just encouraged me so much that he's in hot pursuit of them. He's lighting up their path. He's, he's exposing the lies in their life. He's revealing himself to them as I'm praying for them. And, oh, it just is, encourages your heart so much. But, yeah. When we worship, it's warfare, isn't it? Because we're not just singing those beautiful words and and saying, thank you, God, that that's what you've done for me. It's beautiful to soak in what he's done for us, but then it becomes warfare when we start declaring it over other people's lives, that that will one day be their testimony. That will be their testimony. They'll be singing that with their hands raised one day. That's when it becomes warfare. When we start saying, yes, God, you're going after the people that I'm praying for right now while I'm worshipping you. You're ministering to them. You're reaching out to them. You're speaking to them. You're lighting up their path. You're exposing the lies. Let's make worship our warfare because there's an army rising up. There's an army rising up and that's us.
We need to take ground, take back the enemy, the ground the enemy has stolen, like, like Paul was saying, take it back. Press in and take it back. Let's turn to Philippians. Have you ever heard the term, any of you that have been on social media for, for more than five minutes, I'm sure, you've heard the term relationship goals. Anyone heard that? Yeah. So I'm not on social media that much, but I've noticed this hashtag. I'm not. Does anyone see me on social media much? <laughs> um, but yeah, someone might, you know, see a, a cute photo of a couple that have been married for 50 years and they're still holding hands and they'll remark relationship goals. In other words, that's where I want to be, you know, with my marriage in 50, after 50 years. That's what it means, right? Or, you know, someone will post a photo of their husband bringing them coffee in bed and someone will comment or hashtag relationship goals because, you know, that's what I, that's my goal that my husband bring me coffee in bed every morning. <laughs> Just putting it out there. No, not really. Not really. But, but there's, this, there's this phrase, relationship goals. And... In Philippians 3, 10 to 12, Paul tells us about his relationship goals. Because what I want to ask you this morning is what, what are your relationship goals with, with God, with your Father in heaven? What are, your, what are your relationship goals? What do you aspire to in your relationship with Jesus? And this, and this is what Paul was aspiring to. Philippians 3, verse 10. And keeping in mind that Philippians is one of the prison epistles. So he wrote this when he was in prison. So his goals were not that I should get out of this place. He, he doesn't say anything about that. His goal isn't that I should be able to be free again and not unjustly con contained in this, in this prison. But he says, I want to know Christ. He wasn't talking about his circumstances. He wasn't derailed by his situation. This was his goal. This was the cry of his heart. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection... And get this, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Is that anybody's goal? <laughs> Jesus, I want to know the fellowship of suffering like you suffered. That's my goal. Yeah, that's a scary prayer. That's a scary prayer. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus so mercifully took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take, have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's relationship goals, that he would know Christ. That was his number one priority. And if you weren't here for Friday night last week, no, it was Saturday night last week, Steve McCracken spoke about first things first. And I really encourage you to listen to that message. It's on the podcast. But it's about making sure Jesus is Lord and number one in our life. And it was such a challenging and realigning message. And in a nutshell, it's, it's this, that our, our one goal would be to know Christ number one, above all else, above everyone and everything else. And if, if everything, anything else is above him and our pursuit of him, then he's not first in our life. That's it. That's it. And I, I feel to share a little bit about what God's been doing in my heart because it might set some of you free. It might speak to some of you as well. So when, when, we were, when we were growing up in the 70s and 80s, there was a pretty big move of God that was taking place in Australia then. And we were seeing some similar things to what we've started seeing recently where people being healed and powerfully touched by God, people being um, prayed for and hitting the floor and instantaneously baptised in the Holy Spirit and all of that amazing stuff that we've been seeing recently. And I remember at the time there were only a couple of critical, there were a couple of critical tones running through the church. But as a teenager, I picked up on them. We need to be really careful what we say about when God moves. We really need to guard our tongue. Because I was affected by a couple of critical voices in the church then. And people were saying things like, oh, that person is super Spiro. That was a term that people used to fling around. They're a bit too super Spiro for me. They're a bit out there, kooky, over the top. Uh -uh, Don't want to be like that. You know, the people that were really in love with Jesus and just didn't care what anybody thought and just went mental in worship and people like, oh, they're a bit super Spiro. I heard that voice as a teenager and it affected me, it seeded, it it took seed in my mind. There was another phrase that people were throwing around which was, 
Oh, they're so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? Oh, they're so up in the clouds. All they ever talk about is Jesus and how good Jesus is and how he's set them free. And oh, that's all they ever talk about. And they're so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. And that phrase took seed in my mind. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be seen like that. I don't want to be seen as a spiritual twit, you know. I better be careful that I don't go press into God too hard because then I'll get judged. Anybody ever felt like that? In the church. In the place that Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. In the place where the devoted lovers of Jesus gather and lay their lives down at the altar. I was afraid of being judged for pressing in too hard into God. And as I said, it was only one or two voices. And I didn't realise that that residue, that that criticism was still tucked way back in, in the filing cabinet of my mind somewhere back there. Until recently where God started touching me and where I was just experiencing him so powerfully and sometimes... I get reduced to tears and sometimes I just want to hit the floor on my knees and I just love him so much. And there was this little nagging voice in my head that was saying, don't go too deep because people are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're strange. People are going to think you've lost it. You know? And the Holy Spirit brought that to my attention recently and I thought I dealt with all the fear of man in my life but there's no shadow that he won't light up there's no shadow that he won't light up if there's anything buried in the recesses of your brain and believe me we all have it We all have it. We all have that little voice in the back of our head that says, but if you say 100% yes to God, it's going to look like this or you're going to look like that or people are going to think this. If you just let God totally take over your life, if you totally surrender to him, oh, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? What are people at work going to say about you? And God lit up that shadow in my mind and said, let it go. Let it go. Because if I'm going to follow him with my whole heart, I can't be listening to the fear of man. I heard Bill Johnson say once that what other people think about me is none of my business. What other people say about me and my relationship with God and how I worship and how I experience him is none of my business. What is my business is pursuing him with my whole heart and laying down my whole life at the altar and saying, Lord, use me, use me, use me as a testimony of your goodness and your greatness. So he's challenged me on just allowing him 
free reign in my life and not caring what it looks like or what anybody thinks, but just saying, use me, God. Use me, God. So whatever it is that's in your head that says, hold back, hold back. Maybe he wants you to give that to him today and just let him have his way in your life. And you know what? It's so good. It's so good when we allow him free reign in our life, isn't it? And when we realise that it's the enemy whispering in our, in our head that he's trying to contain us. He's trying to hold us back. He's those little lies. Those little lies, yeah? So, relationship goals that I would know Christ. That's point one. That was a long point, hey? <laughs> I want to look at someone today that knew that knew Christ. Can we look at John? Can we turn to John? John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. No. We'll skip forward a bit. Jesus, it just talks about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet and that was such an act of his love towards them. So verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then skip forward to 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those that I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread and has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Hang on. Am I in the right? Sorry. Am I in the right scripture? John 13, 23. Is it up there? Okay, I'm getting there. Let me skip forward. Sorry. <laughs> 21. Let's go to 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus love, loves, loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then dipping in the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do it quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood, understood why Jesus said this to him. So there's the, the 12 disciples, they're at the Last Supper with Jesus. This is shortly before he goes to the cross. And it's talking about, it really highlights to me the relationship between John and Jesus. We know that Jesus had a lot of followers. He had the 72 the Bible talks about the 72. Within the 72, he had the 12. Within the 12, he had the three. And within the three, he had the one, who was John, who was the disciple that was closest to his heart. And we know that Jesus loved all his disciples. We know that he loves all of us with that awesome, overwhelming, amazing love. In John 13, 1, it says, Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them until the end. So that's talking about his disciples. And, of course, John three sixteen, God so loved the whole world that he gave, that whosoever believes can receive him. But then the Bible also talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And there was this special bond between Jesus and John. Which makes you think, I believe that there are those who are especially favoured and loved by God. And you might disagree with that and say, well, how can there be degrees within the love of God? And you think, well, if there are degrees within the love of God, even the lowest degree of his love is way beyond what we could ever imagine. <laughs> but he had this special bond with John and some of some scholars believe that John was the youngest of the disciples that he was the youngest of the group but he was also one of the ones that pressed into Jesus the most he was also one of the most teachable ones he was also one of the most mature ones out of the 12 He was one of the ones that Jesus took with him when Jairus' daughter had died. Jesus said, John, Peter, James, come with me. Everyone else stay outside. Because he knew that he could rely on them to push through in prayer. They were passionate prayers. John was a passionate prayer. He was one of the sons of thunder. James and John were the brothers. Jesus called them the sons of thunder because he knew he could rely on them when there was a difficult situation to push through in prayer. To push through in prayer. And he was the one that sat at the table. John was the one that sat at the table with his head on Jesus' chest, right next to him. And it says that Jesus was troubled. 
Jesus was troubled because he knew that his death was just around the corner. And not only that, but he knew that he was about to be betrayed. When John was there, he would have been aware because he was sitting right next to Jesus with his head on his chest. He would have been the first one to pick up that Jesus was troubled because he was sitting so close to him. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. I've been reading some of the old fathers in the faith because I just love, I just love them so much because they just say it how it is. There's no frills. There's no watering anything down. They're just on fire. I love Spurgeon. I love Smith Wigglesworth. I love a bit of um, Tozer. Aidan Tozer. But this is a Charles Spurgeon quote. There was one in the Old Testament who was called a man greatly beloved. And there are Daniels on earth even now. Christ has among women still his Marys, whom he loves. He loved Martha too, but there was a special place for Mary. Jesus has still his Johns, whom he particularly loves. He loved Peter and Nicodemus and Nathaniel and all of them, but still there are some who know his love more than others, live in it more than others, drink into it more than others, reflect it more than others, and become more conformed to it and are saturated with it and perfumed with it more than others are. Do you want to be one of those favoured ones? that live in the love of God more than others, that are saturated with it more than others, that enjoy it more than others, that smell of it more than others. Do you want to be one of those that sits right next to Jesus with your head on his chest, that enjoys his love more than others? Why? Because John pushed closer He leaned into Jesus because maybe he had this sense that he only had him for a little while and he needed to glean as much as he could glean from him while he could. So there are those that are especially favoured. I've got four main points this morning. That's the first one. The second one is those who love much are entrusted with much. Jesus can trust those who pull in close to him with with more. And if we look at John 19, when Jesus is on the cross, verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, who was the only one at the cross. John was the only one at the cross. Those who love much fear less. Because the only thing in John's mind right in that moment was I need to be with him right now. The other disciples were thinking, if I'm associated with him, I might be the next one hanging on that cross. The only thing that John was thinking is, I need to be with him right now. 
I need to be close to him right now because he's laying down his, his life right now and he doesn't need to do that alone. So Jesus looked down, he saw the disciple whom he loved, he saw his mother and he said, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. He entrusted John with the most precious person in his life, his mother. Those who love much are entrusted with much. So when we draw near to Jesus, he can entrust his precious ones into our care. So who who has he entrusted you with? Who has he entrusted you with? The more you love him, the more he can entrust you with something that he can't entrust to anyone else. Yeah? Those who love much lean in when others scatter. John drew near to the cross when the others were running in fear. So he entrusted John with his mother. He had entrusted Judas with his money. And the Bible tells us that Jesus knew all along that he was stealing from him. I don't think he would have entrusted Judas with his mother. (laughs) But Jesus knew that his father would care for him whether Judas stole from him or not. So that wasn't really an issue to him. Interesting, isn't it? So in John we see the one who draws near, the one who lays down his life for Jesus. In Judas we see the poster child of 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. (laughs) I post a child of that, the love of money. What it is to love money and to hate God, because the word of God says you can't serve both God and money, you have to choose one or the other. So, And you might think, because it says there that Satan entered Judas and then he betrayed Jesus, and you might think, oh, poor Judas, he had no choice. Satan came into him and then he did the deed... But he'd already given his heart over to the enemy way before that. The first time he stole from Jesus, the first time he betrayed him, he'd already given his heart over. That spirit of entitlement that said, hey, I used to catch fish all day and and I've given that all up for Jesus. And so I I really deserve a little bit of this money. As soon as we partner with a spirit of entitlement, where does it it end? Where does the taking end? It's a dangerous place to be. So those who love much are entrusted with much. Number three, great love produces great humility. You'll notice when you read the book of John that 
he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves, but he never actually says, it's me. It's only through other eyewitness accounts and looking at the other Gospels that we can deduce that it was John. He never actually says, I'm the one that Jesus loved the most because it was all about pointing to Jesus, not to him. And he didn't say, I'm the one that loved Jesus the most because he didn't think his love was worth mentioning in the light of Jesus' love. So it's that kind of humility that great love produces in us, that it's not about us. Our love for God is simply a response to his great love for us, isn't it? We love him because he first loved us. And my fourth point is that secrets are revealed to those who draw near. Do you want to know the heart of God? Do you want to know the heart of God? If we rest our head on his chest, then we'll know the heart of God. We'll know what troubles him. We'll we'll know what grieves him. We'll know what pleases him. We'll know what delights him. The closer we get to him, the more we know him, the more we know his heart, the more he reveals himself to us, the more he reveals his secrets to us. He reserves a special place in his presence for those that draw near to him. I really feel like we're in a season of drawing near. Does anyone feel like that? It's really important that we know the season that we're in. The season that we're in personally, what God requires of us right now, each one of us as an individual. If you haven't asked God lately, what season am I in in my life? He'll show you if you draw near to him, if you lean into him. He'll show you what season you're in right now and what, what, how you need to respond to that season because we're all in a season right now. He has a purpose for us and we need to take hold of that for which he took hold of us. And some of you, God has, all of you, God has taken hold of you for a purpose. Some of you are leaning into that purpose so hard right now and some of you, for whatever reason, maybe a similar reason to what I was talking about at the beginning because there's a dialogue going in your head that says don't lean in too hard but it's time to lean in and take hold of that for which he's taken hold of us and every single one of you he has taken hold of you for a purpose and and it's time for you to lean in. Some of you are leaning into that purpose more than others. And Isaiah tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found. And in this season, God is showing himself to us so so generously and so liberally. And it's time to lean in right now and take hold of that for which he has taken hold of you. 
and you don't want to miss what he requires of you in this season. If you're distracted right now, if you've got stuff going on in your head that's holding you back from where you need to be in God, then it's time to let go of that distraction. It's time to let go of that lie. It's time to let go of whatever you're busy doing that's keeping you out of the throne room of God. It's time to let go of it and take hold and lean in and get close to his chest and listen to his heartbeat and say, God, reveal your secrets to me. God, reveal what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in the church, what you're doing on the earth, because I need to be part of it and I need to be in the place that you've called me to be right now. Whether that's the place of interceding, whether that's the place of reaching, well, we, we, we all need to be interceding. We all need to be sharing our faith. We all need to be worshipping with our whole heart right now. But God requires something significant and individual of each one of us in this season. And we can all be, the one thing that really challenges me about this situation is there were 12 men in the room with Jesus One of them was really leaning in. The other 11 were on board. The other 10 were on board. There was one that he was in the presence of Jesus 24-7 every single day and he still completely lost it. He still completely missed it because he was listening to a lie. He was listening to that spirit of entitlement that said, yes, you deserve to steal from him. And he completely lost the plot and completely missed it and thought that he was going to get something so good at the end of it and only to realise that he felt nothing but remorse. He felt nothing but remorse for the time that he'd lost and the destiny that he'd lost because he'd been pursuing money above Jesus. There's so many things that we can pursue that will leave us feeling nothing but remorse at the end of our life if it's not him. If it's not him, nothing else will fulfill us. We'll have nothing else to celebrate that's worth anything at the end of his life apart from I took hold of that for which he had taken hold of me. I leaned into him. I rested my head on his chest. I worshipped him with everything. I gave him my life. I gave him my all. I didn't hold back. That will be the only thing we're celebrating at the end of our life when we stand face to face with him and we hear, well done, I know you because you were right here. And Jesus says, I know you. I know you. You spent time in my presence. You you leaned on my chest. You inquired of me. You listened to me. You obeyed. You walked with me. That's the only thing we're celebrating at the end of our life. And every seek first the kingdom and everything else comes after. It's not that there's not any other thing in life that's beautiful and wonderful because there's so many good things God has given us, but they all come after him. After him, 
after him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else we want comes after him, after him, not before him, after him, after him. Yeah. He's so good, yeah. There's just one more thing I'm going to say and then I'm going to close. John is also the one that wrote Revelation, the book of Revelation. So Jesus entrusted him with this amazing revelation, this amazing vision of what is happening and will happen and has happened. (laughs) And I'm not going to attempt to go there right now. But we know that he wrote to churches about their condition as Jesus was revealing their condition to John. And one was the church of Ephesus and Jesus said to John, they're doing so many good things in that church. They're serving me. They're they're diligent. But there's one thing I have against them and that is that they've lost their first love. They've forgotten how close they used to be to me. And Jesus said, tell them to do the things they did at first. Tell them to do the things they did at first. And that wasn't about serving him anymore, but it was about why they were serving him. Remember when you first knew him and how in love with him you were. And everything that you did was out of love for Jesus. Everything you did was because you were so excited to be his child. You were just so grateful. And he said to the church, tell them to do the things they did at first, out of love, out of joy. Because they've lost their first love. They're serving me, but they're not serving me out of love anymore. They're just going through the motions. And I've got to be honest with you. Like Paul said, I haven't already attained to all this. I haven't already attained to all this, but that's my goal. That's my goal. That's my relationship goal with Jesus that... I want to attain to that, that everything that I do for him, I do out of love. I do out of love for him and I do out of love for you. Everything that I do is with that motivation. And there's been times in my life where I have been distracted. There's been times in my life where I haven't been sitting right here and I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that because I was empty and I was functioning out of emptiness and it's hard work and it doesn't accomplish very much. (laughs) Has anyone else been there? And the really sad thing about the church in Ephesus is after they got that letter from John, 
in a decade later, that church didn't exist anymore because they didn't heed the warning to return to their first love. That's sobering, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus is returning for a bride that's in love with him, that's devoted, devoted to him. Not a distracted bride. Not an emotionally distant bride. Not a bride who's too busy to stop and talk with him. He's returning for a bride that's in love with him. So I'm going to invite you to respond. I really want us to see the altar as a comfortable place. And there's nothing special about this bit of carpet from here to there except it takes you an act of your faith to come down here and say, I'm taking a stand. I'm rededicating my life. I'm laying my life down. I'm all in with Jesus. I'm not holding back anymore. I don't care what anybody thinks. It's all or it's nothing. Because living a half-hearted Christian life sucks, to be honest. It's either all in or it's pathetic. <laughs> That's all I can say. Because I've been there, I've done pathetic. And it doesn't compare to having your head on his chest. Nothing compares to that. I never want to leave that place. I'm never going to leave that place. So if you just want to come and have time... Re- rededicating, offering yourself as a living sacrifice again to Him, then this part of the altar, the floor, the carpet is yours. I'm not going to bother you there. That's you and Jesus. And you say, but why can't I do it in my seat? If you can't do that here with all your brothers and sisters in Christ, then how are we going to take a stand out there where we might have to suffer a little bit of the rejection that Jesus suffered? We might have to be a bit misunderstood like Jesus was misunderstood. We might be a little bit judged like Jesus was judged. Out there, out there, not in here. If you can't take a stand here and say, I'm all in right now, I'm all in right now. I'm, I'm taking my place on the carpet. Come on, come on, come on. We need to get comfortable with coming to the altar and saying, yes, Lord, I'm responding to that word right now. Right now I'm responding. I hear you. I'm taking action. I'm laying down my life. So that bit of carpet is for you guys. If you want someone to stand with you and pray with you about anything at all, this bit of carpet is for you. We will pray with you here. We will stand with you here. If you're over here, we'll let you have your time with God. Respond if you like. Respond if you like.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, repentance is such a beautiful thing. Such a beautiful thing. Repentance is not a dirty word. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful thing. That we can come to the altar again and again and again and say, Refine me, Lord. Refine me, Lord. Refine me, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercies. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Thank you for your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, Lord. Reckless love. You chase us down. You chase us down. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for joining today. If you'd like to know more about service times or simply want to find out more about church, head to our website, riveredgechurch.com.au.